Well, good morning, everyone. And good morning to all of you online who are watching here online. And just a little correction here. This is not, uh, I, I think, a statement that was made a little bit ago that might have alarmed you. This is not our last online service, not at all. Uh, it will be our last day where we are exclusively online, and even that isn't true because, as has already been mentioned, we have our staff here today as well as our deacons and their families as a, kind of a dry run a little bit to, just to see how things are going, as was mentioned, working out some of the kinks, and, and we'll get that figured out. But we want you to know that uh, those of you that are online right now here and will be online in the future, we are going to continue to present a quality service, best we know how, for the glory of God until we get through this uh, pandemic uh, season uh, that we're in. Uh, so... That said, again, remember to start signing up uh, for next week uh, starting tomorrow. So, uh, again, I, if I could just invite you now to take your Bibles and open them to Exodus chapter 17 as we continue in our series. The Exodus, the journey to freedom, and then don't forget that all-important word, continues. Because this is really a mirror of the Christian life that we're living right now. It's a mirror of what the Israelites are going through is a bit of a mirror of what we experience in our own life, and you'll see that here today. Uh, our passage that we're going to be looking at in verses 8 through 16 uh, conjures up a, a great picture in our minds. Here's the picture. Here's this epic picture of Moses on the hill uh, raising the staff in his hands and Aaron and her holding up his arms and helping him along the way. That's the image. Here's the passage. It's going to be read to us by our, uh, one of our assistant technicians, Josh Matthews. Josh, will you come and read the word of God to us, please? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek with, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. This is the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Josh. And what imagery that passage brings up, huh? Here is Moses up on the hill. He's standing. The, the, the picture has him with one arm. Some think he's actually holding it with both, pleading with God. Powerful, powerful imagery. But it's much, much more than that. And I don't want you to miss. Uh, the application of this passage of Scripture. The Israelites, now free. They're free from Egypt. They've seen the hand of God pummel an entire nation. 
the hand of God unilaterally provide for them water out of a rock and, uh, and meat out of the desert. Suddenly, as you see from the Bible reading, and thank you, Josh, suddenly there's an unprovoked sneak attack upon them, as we'll see here in a little bit. From a new enemy, they are the Amalekites. And for the very first time, they have to fight. And they have to keep on fighting. And for the very first time, they have to struggle in order to prevail. Even Moses, who is praying, we've seen him pray before, he has to persevere in prayer. He gets weary in prayer. He needs somebody to help him. The good news is, as we saw, they win. Amen? They win, but not without a battle. So here's the question for you as we get going this morning. What are you battling with? Where are your battles? All of us battle. Our battles are both inward and outward. They're external and they're internal. We have some nasty enemies around us as we speak, but they're also within us. It's the ones within that you got to get the victory over because the ones without are going to keep coming at you. But if you get the ones within dealt with, you'll be much better off. Christian, let me encourage you. Christian, those of you who know Jesus, and I don't assume that of all of you, but let me encourage those of you who are born-again Christians right up front. According to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen? We're more than conquerors. And what is the victory in our fight? John tells us, even our faith. That's our victory. So in this sense, believers in Jesus, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Our victory is at the cross. So it's not like we have to win something. It's already been won. And yet there is a fight. We we do still fight. So what I want to do from this passage is I want to extract four essentials to winning our spiritual battles. Four essentials for you to win your particular spiritual battle. And I want these points to be as self-evident as possible to you so that you can literally take away the points. They're not just one-word points. Here's the first one. Identify every spiritual enemy in and around you. Okay, so the enemy here in the passage is the Amalekites. Where did they come from? Well, we know they came from Esau. They were descendants of Esau. He was the traitor. He was the profane one, the Bible tells us. And the Amalekites, therefore, they represent just generally just the enemies. They represent all of the enemies that you and I are against and are against us. By the way, you can write this down. It's probably your cross-reference system somewhere, too. In Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 and 18... Moses tells us later on that what happens, if you notice in the Bible reading, they're just an unprovoked attack. They just were attacked by the Amalekites. In Deuteronomy, we're told that they snuck up on him from behind, got him by the tail, literally, and attacked their weakest 
attacked them at the weak and the infirm, the, the people that were weakest. Either way, it was game on at that point. We'll come back to that. The Amalekites. Remember, those of you who know your Old Testament, you remember that Saul was told by Samuel to wipe them out. Remember that? Don't spare anything, animal or person. Samuel shows up after the battle. Saul says, I've done the will of the Lord. Remember that? And so Samuel says, so why am I hearing sheep bleed in the background here? Oh, well, we kept those for the sacrifices. Oh, really? And what's this, your trophy king while you're at it? Agag, who Samuel takes out. So the Amalekites don't go away. They keep resurfacing. Remember the story of Esther? Remember the enemy of Esther, the enemy of the Jews, was a man by the name of Haman. Very good. Haman was an Amalekite. Here's the irony of it all. Haman set out to, not, to annihilate all the Jews. That wouldn't even, he wouldn't even have been there had Saul obeyed years earlier. What irony. The Amalekites represent our ongoing battle with the world and the flesh and the devil. Those are, that's the three-pronged fork of Satan right there. John says all that's in the world... Lust of the flesh, the pride of life, lust of the eyes, the sinful pride of life, they're not of the Father, they're of the world, and the world is passing away, and all of its host, those who do the will of the Father, will abide forever. So you got the world, the flesh, and the devil. Quickly, the world is a system. Don't be thinking terra firma, but it all takes place here on terra firma. The world is a system. Listen to this. It is a system that sucks you in and keeps you here. You remember when Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, rust, corrupt, thieves break through and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures where? When you do that, you, are, you rise above. You win the battle with the world. Because the, the system of the world tamps you down, keeps you in the world. And if you want to know whether or not you're worldly, it doesn't have to do so much with, you know, yes, it, 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 ha it can have to do with bad thinking and bad behavior, but some of you are perfectly upstanding citizens in this world, but you're grossly worldly because all of your eggs are in this basket. Everything you're pursuing is in this world. You don't pursue others for the glory of God, for the gospel of Jesus. It's all about your retirement. It's all about your possessions. It's all about getting ahead in life. And if that's the case, you have become a system. You have become, rather, uh, you've become incarcerated, a victim, so to speak, of the world itself. And then there is the flesh. The flesh is the natural weaknesses that you and I have within us. And you know what they are, don't you? This is the reason Jesus said when you pray, you should pray that you would be deliver us from temptation. That's your own personal temptations. Nobody knows those better than you. Let me ask you a question. Uh, as a parent, those of you who are parents of little ones, have you ever caught yourself asking them dumb questions? I can still remember Josh. My son Josh who was up here singing a little bit earlier. I, I can still picture it because he always wore a decaled farm cap. He, wherever, he'd get out of bed, he'd put that cap on. So it was in the middle of the afternoon. He'd gone to bed for a nap. He's like three years old. He comes up. He's like, like 20 minutes later, he, he's, he shows up downstairs. And I looked at him and I said, Josh, how did you wake up? There's your dumb question. 
He looked at me. He took the question seriously. He looks at me and goes, I don't know. My eyes just popped open. That's what I got for the question. And it was reminded of the little girl who fell out of bed. And her dad came to her and asked her, how did you fall out of bed? There's your dumb question. And her response, though, was pretty powerful in accordance with the point. She said, I don't know, but I think it's because I stayed too close to where I got in. Just think about that one, Christian. Just a little bit here. Herein lies the problem with this battle that we have within. We, oftentimes we come out of these areas of temptation that we have capitulated to. We fall into. We've sinned because we're, we, we're, we're flesh. We, we fall into sin from time to time. But then we get into the bed and we stay too close to where we got in. Don't stay close. Don't, don't flit with the edges. Don't flirt with the edges, rather. The flesh is that which hates. By the way, the flesh, the Greek word is the word sarks. It's, again, it's that internal mechanism, that thing that is against God and all things of God. It's the flesh that hates. It's the flesh that becomes violent. It's the flesh that in your mind makes one race superior to another this, in this, in this you know, atmosphere of racism that we're living in presently. It's the flesh that loves self at the expense of others. It's the flesh that acts out of impulse and wrecks things rather than has debate and civil discourse. The world, the flesh, and then there's the devil who just fuels it all. He's the outward enemy, like the Amalekites, sneaking up on you when you're weak. And this is again when Jesus said, you pray against your temptation and against the evil one, right? Matthew 6. And it is your weakest point, whatever that may be, and you alone probably know, and those closest to you, what your weakest points are. It is your weakest point, and at that very point, that he'll come up from behind. So the first thing we want you to do in winning the spiritual battle is to be able to identify those enemies. Secondly, make use of every spiritual piece of armor available to you. This is really important and does really, it really does go along with the text. To win our battles, we need all the spiritual resources available to us because your particular giftedness, your particular strength, my particular strength won't be enough. <coughs> Excuse me. Until now, God, as we, we said, has worked unilaterally with these Jews. He's put the smack down on the, on the Egyptians. He's the one who provided the water. He's the one who provided the meat. He's the one who has led them by the pillar of a cloud and the pillar of fire. It's been God and God alone. But now he incorporates several ingredients into the victory. Just think about the imagery that you just read here. The fight is on. Moses goes up. The staff is raised. He's got it up. He's got Aaron on one side, her on the other. He's got Joshua down below, duking it out with the enemies. You got God above. And here's the deal. If, if, you're, if you are a saintly person, just you know, you're so saintly. You know, you're just so otherly, so heavenly. 
As Moody said, some people are so heavenly minded, there's no earthly good. But if you're so saintly, it would be easy for you to just focus on God. You know, God, he's the one who's done it. He'll do it again. If you're a leader, you might focus on Moses, who's praying. And you can't argue that prayer, even though we don't hear the prayer, we don't know what the prayer is, we don't know what he pleaded, there's no question, but that he's raising that staff up, which represents the power of God unto God for that power, for victory. We don't know what he's praying. And we like, if you're a leader, you want to be like Moses and you're praying. Prayer is a Muslim a missionary to the Muslims has said is the gymnasium of the soul. So how flabby is that on the inside? We're not told what he prayed. We don't know. Does it really matter? I, I remember years ago we had uh, Ken Rudolph, who was an evangelist, works for, a, works for a camp out in Michigan, and he was preaching right here in this pulpit one day, and he was talking about prayer, and he was talking about how he was driving down the road one day, and his, his car went out of control on the ice. He literally started doing 360s. He goes, did I pray? Yeah, I prayed. Oh, God! Oh, God! <laughs> That's how he prayed. That's probably how Moses was praying. We just don't know. We're just not told. And if you're a fighter, you identify with Joshua down there duking it out. If you're a servant, you want to focus on Aaron and her while Moses has got that staff up there. They're holding him up. Makes sense. He's sitting down. They're standing up, holding his arms up. As he gets weak, you saw he gets weak. The battle goes against him as he raises it up until they get underneath him, uphold him. I remember Kevin Thomas at the time, the chairman of the deacons, telling me, I want to be your her. And I said, who's he? <laughs> I mean, who's her? We don't even know who her. Well, Josephus, the first century historian, Jewish historian, says that uh, Josephus was, uh, was the husband of Miriam. That would have made him Moses' brother-in-law. We don't know. We do know that both of them were helping. They were helpers to Moses, upholding the one who was holding God's people before God. And I can't tell you how grateful I am to you, God's people, who have upheld me. And I know you have. I've sensed it in the power that God has allowed me to experience these last several months. And you yourself have told me in texts and emails and, and different messages and phone calls. And, and I'm so Grateful for your prayers, being Aaron's and hers to me. But as Chuck Swindoll once said, blessed are the balanced. You might focus on any of those things, but they were all necessary for victory, right? God, Moses, Aaron and her, Joshua below. Just the other day. A police officer in our area who came to Jesus just three days ago, maybe four, became a friend through a series of circumstances, came to Jesus a few days ago. I saw him in the gym. We talked. He said, my wife and I just came upon a terrible three-car accident, not far from the church here. Terrible accident. People pinned in their cars. Injuries, really bad. He goes, being a police officer, off-duty, I, I jumped out of the car. I ran to the scene. And there were others that came to the scene. And he said to me, he said, Pastor, at that scene, at that terrible scene, 
There was one off-duty cop, him, a nurse, a retired uh, paramedic, two African-Americans, and a Hispanic dude, all on the scene, all of them, every one of them, putting themselves putting their plans, putting their schedules, putting their deadlines, putting their heartaches, putting their struggles, all aside for the sake of helping somebody. And I thought to myself, dude, you just gave me, a, you just gave me an illustration for what has to happen. People getting off themselves, coming together, utilizing all of our giftedness in the aid of others. So, make every spiritual piece of armor. Paul told us that in Ephesians 6, right? Take up the whole armor of God, and having done all, stand. Thirdly, record every spiritual victory in your story. Did you see that in verse 14? Look at it again. I'll just... Read it to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. Write and recite. There's a good little rhyme there. Not enough to write, you need to recite. Not enough to recite, you got to write because the reciter's going to die. Who's remembering your story? And did you notice who they were to give it to? First time he's ever mentioned in the Bible. Joshua. We wouldn't know him until now. He's going to get 200 more reps before the Bible's done, okay? But this is the first time right here, Joshua, who is the Old Testament. His name, Joshua, is the, the Hebrew word is, is the equivalent to the New Testament name of Jesus, whose name means salvation. He is the next generation. He comes after Moses. He's not there yet, but he's now been identified. And Moses says, tell it to Joshua. Record it in the book. Write and recite. Write and recite. Say it together. Write and recite. Are you writing your story? And are you reciting your story? Joshua better know the stories. God knows that generally speaking, his people have very short memories. And I'm talking to you. It's the reason why the psalmist said, I remember the days of old. I meditate on the work of your hands. I muse on the work of your hands. Why? Because if I don't, if I don't write, I can't recite. If I don't remember, I won't be encouraged. Because there's going to be times when the discouragement comes in and you're there. Some of you are there. Some of you are down this whole atmosphere of COVID. The atmosphere of racial tensions has got you down. It's got you angry. You're taking sides. Remember, you have the one whose government will be on his shoulders. Amen? That's the one we look to. you got to record every spiritual victory in your story. Write and recite. Because we have short memories. I was just told the other day that my mother-in-law was committed to the memory ward. Really smart, super sharp, intelligent woman struggling to remember. I think some of us have spiritual Alzheimer's. 
you just forget what God has done. This is, again, the reason why the psalmist says, don't forget his benefits. Amen? You got the, the pillar that was in front of them represented God's presence, and you had the staff that he's lifting up, which represents God's power. Somebody's got to write about it. Who's writing your story? Who will remember your story? If you're a Christian, memories should both warn and inspire you. Okay? If you're a Christian, your memories... Good, bad, and other way. You got bad memories. You wish you could expunge them. You wish you could get rid of them. You wish you could have some mental gymnastic that will take them away. Ain't going to happen. Your memories are intended to warn you and inspire you. As I shared with a dear friend here recently, if it's a really bad memory, um, if it's a really bad memory, then you need to, what you need to do is flip the, flip the binoculars over. When I was a little boy, I had a fascination with binoculars. My uncle had a really cool, expensive pair of binoculars. And you know what binoculars do? They bring things close, at least they sense that they're, you sense that they're close. But I like to flip them around because they did just the opposite, right? It made that which was big really, really tiny. And that's what happens when you walk with God. The memories won't completely go away, but they get so minuscule, so tiny, so obscure that you're not battling them. The battle of your mind comes to peace. If you're a Christian, your memories should both warn you and they should inspire you. And if you're not a Christian, listen, if you're not a Christian, your memories will haunt you for all eternity. Mark my words. This is what Jesus said when he gave, the par- he gave that story of the rich man and Lazarus. And he says to the man who's in hell, he's talking to you from across the ca- chasm. The first two words out of his mouth are, son, Remember. And that man in hell would be remembering for the rest of eternity. Fourthly and finally, if we're going to win this battle, we need to lift high the banner of the cross until the fight is over. Lift high the banner of the cross until the fight is over. This would not be the last time the Jews would fight with the Malachites, as I've already mentioned. Saul would fight with them. There would be other skirmishes. David would finally finish them off. Anybody ever met an Amalekite? They're gone. But the Amalekites would live to fight another day, and your enemies will too, the ones within and the ones without. There's an eerie statement in Luke's gospel when Jesus is done being tempted. At the very end of those 40 years of temptation, it says, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Have you ever read that? The Amalekites will be back, and so will your enemies. And so in verses 15 and 16, when the victory is made, Joshua overwhelms Amalek in verse 13. They, he's ordered to write it down, tell Joshua And Moses, verse 15, built an altar and called the name the Yehovah or Yahweh, Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my, say it, is my banner. What's a banner? You know what a banner is. There's banners in our church. Banners get us around. They direct us. 
They can inspire us. And in many ways, they are our identity. In, in, in military, in battles, the banner would be the thing that people would go to because that, that told me where I was supposed to be. Focus, direction, and more, most importantly, the banner was the identity of the soldier. Onward Christian soldiers, right? Marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ our royal master leads against the foe. Onward into battle, see his banners go. We follow him, amen? Banner is our, the banner is our identity. Jesus is our banner. It's not a color. It's not a race. It's not a privilege. It's not even a history. It's not your job. It's not your motherhood. That's not supposed to be your identity. Your identity as a follower of Jesus is Jesus himself. He is your identity. Find it there. God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dante, who lived 700 years ago, wrote the famous Inferno and the comedy. The Inferno, the Inferno was, he gives these seven little layers or places, depths, if you please, of hell. And in one of the outer circles, Dante pictures the souls of damned men, because everybody in hell is damned, right? He pictures the souls of damned men chasing. They're chasing. They're chasing. In pain, they're chasing. They're chasing, interestingly enough, a banner. The banner, in Dante's vision, represents their identity. But they never get it. They never catch it in his vision. Dante understood that we all need a banner, an identity in this world. And when it's not Jesus, here I have a word for all of you. You won't catch it now, and you'll spend an eternity trying to catch it and never catch it. I wonder if that isn't a as good a description of hell as I've ever heard. All of those desires that you have left for an eternity damned, unfulfilled. We all have a banner. It's your identity. It's your call sign. It's who you are. And if you don't know what it is, I dare you to ask somebody close to you. They know. They know what it is. More importantly, have the guts to change your call sign. Remember the movie Air Force One? Charlton Heston, President of the United States. He is hijacked. His Air Force One is hijacked by terrorists. And the final scene, the plane's going down. It's been all shot up. It's going down, it's going down, it's going down. And, the, and Charlton Heston, the president, is fighting off all the bad guys. And uh, meantime, another 
plane has called Liberty 2-4 has circled above Air Force One and, and, a, and a line has been attached so that people can be hoisted out to Liberty 2-4. The president is the last one. And, and just before the plane wrecks into the water, the president hooks himself up and he's starting, he's starting to get winced back on. He's, he's all over the air and it's this high drama back in the Oval Office. Glenn Close, the, the vice president, a woman vice president, by the way. It's just a movie. Anyway, that wasn't meant to be a chauvinistic comment, by the way. Just trying to put you there. But she's, she, she's supporting the president. Others are saying, take over the mantle. It's high drama. They're yelling. They're screaming. They can hear stuff coming over the, the microphone. They don't know what's happened to the president. But eventually, he gets hoisted into that plane. And as soon as he's hoisted into the plane, the guy in the back of the plane says, Liberty 2-4 is changing call signs. Liberty 2-4 is now Air Force One. And, and the whole Oval Office erupts in cheers. What changed? What changed? Why did Liberty 2-4 change its call sign? Because the President of the United States was on board. That changed everything. I'm telling you right now, my friend, either here or watching online, there's a whole bunch of you that need to change your call sign. And stop identifying with your job. Stop identifying with your motherhood. Stop identifying with your husband. Stop identifying with your children. Stop identifying with your popularity. Stop identifying with your power, your prestige, and all the things you identify. And start identifying with the Lord, my banner, Jesus Christ. He is our banner, amen? And he is our banner. He is the better Moses. He will never tire. He'll never need somebody to hold up his arms because he ever lives to make intercession for you. And aren't you glad? That's what he does. So if you're lost, you don't know God, look to Jesus who said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to myself. And if you're a Christian, look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised its pain, and now is set on the right hand of God, making intercession for you, the Lord, our battle. The Lord, our banner, who gives us victory in our battles. So we don't have to fight for victory. We fight from it. And the fight goes on until we have to put our armor down and go and be with the victor himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Will you pray with me? Our God, we thank you for allowing us to come back together again to worship you in song and in prayer and to look into your word, to worship you in the word. Oh God, send forth your light and your truth. Let them lead us. Let them bring us to your holy hill as we lift up our hands and our voices and our song to you, the Lord, our banner. And we will sing praise to you, Lord, because you are our joy. You're not just our joy. You are our exceeding joy. And you are the victor. And those of us who know you, we go not 
toward victory, but from victory, the victory of the cross. Help us, O oh God, to continue to persevere in our battles, understanding these enemies, using all the resources that are available to us in the body of Christ. And more important than anything else, Lord, looking to you until the day we lay down our weapons and go to be with you. I pray for those who don't know you, that they would, they would come to the one who was lifted up for them. And to those of us who do, find our joy in you. We pray in Jesus' name.